I consider myself a proudly visible member of the most invisible segment of our society, which is older women. And so, you know, I acknowledge every older woman I pass. I look at her and I know that to so many people she is invisible, but I know equally that she has a phenomenal story to tell, and I wish I knew it. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with vibrance and energy. And Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who was a previous guest on Zestful Aging. Find out more about her on judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and other offerings, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, Just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, as always, I have my little Jack Russell Sparky right by my side, and uh, we have a really great interview for you today. We're going to be speaking with Cindy Gallup, who's a consultant and entrepreneur who for 35 years has worked in brand building, marketing, and advertising with companies like Levi's, L'Oreal, and Calvin Klein to name just a few. She champions and campaigns for diversity in all forms. And as part of that is working to change depictions of aging in advertising by ending ageism in the advertising industry, not too small a task. She's known as a major change maker in her field and likes to describe herself this way. I like to blow shit up. I'm the Michael Bay of business. And for those of you who don't know, Michael Bay is the creator of the Transformer movies and other movies like that, other teen explosive films. Welcome to the show, Cindy. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you because you really have made your name in challenging the status quo. Is that fair to say? Um, I think it is, yes. (laughs) Um, So, go ahead. But I was just going to say that um, actually the point I've been making for years is that women always challenge the status quo because we are never it. Aha. I see. So being outside of the norm already because we're underrepresented? Absolutely, in a patriarchal society and a patriarchal business world. Aha. Uh-huh. To say more about that, because what I was going to just ask you to from the get-go is uh, how you came to be the Michael Bay of business. So tell us your story. Um, sure. I'm, I'm half English, half Chinese. Um, my mother is uh, Chinese. Um, my father was English. Um, I was born in the UK, but when I was six, we moved to Brunei in Borneo. So I grew up in Brunei, um, went back to the UK um, for school and university, went to Oxford and studied English literature, and began my career in theatre marketing before I moved over to advertising. Um, and spent most of my advertising career with one ad agency, Bartle Bogle Hegarty BBH, Um, I worked for them in London, moved to Singapore in 96 to help start and run their Asia-Pacific office. And the reason that I'm based in New York now is that I moved here 22 years ago to start up their American office, which began Mm -hmm. as me in a room with a phone, starting an ad Mm -hmm. agency in the world's toughest advertising marketplace. Um, Ran BBH New York for a number of years, um, left in 2005 to work for myself. And um, these days, I'm the founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn, Mm -hmm. pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference, 
We're the world's first and only social sex video sharing platform, user-generated, human-curated. We are essentially socialising sex to make it easier for everyone to talk about, to promote consent, communication, good sexual values and good sexual behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, alongside that, um, I continue to work as a consultant um, and a paid public speaker. And um, I am a ferocious champion for diversity across everything. And I mean by that diversity of everything, of um, you know, gender, race, ethnicity, um, sexuality, you know, um, disability, and obviously age. So what was it like for you coming up through the ranks as a as an advertising executive being I'm guessing in the midst of as you called it the patriarchy the norms um uh, how was that for you what was that experience like well you, you know it's funny because um, I get asked that a lot you know so Cindy you know what sexism did you encounter you know, climbing the ladder in the in the advertising industry. And my response is, a fish does not know what water is. Mm-hmm. Because of course, that was all around me. Um, but that was the norm. And unfortunately, for many women today, that still is the norm. And so I didn't notice because that was the way things were. And did you talk to other uh, women executives and sort of commiserate about what it's like to have less power in that environment? Was it something that was spoken about or not even, uh, it didn't even come to your your consciousness? Yeah, no, no. I mean, like I say, a fish does not know what mm-hmm. water is. When did the fish start realizing what water was? <laughs> well, um, obviously, as I... As I reached the um, senior levels of the industry, um, you know, I was frequently, you know, the only woman. So I was the only woman on the BBH global um, board. Um, You know, I was one of a very few um, women running advertising agencies. And unfortunately, that continues to this day. So, um, you know, everything we're talking about um, is still very much the norm. I mean, not just in the advertising industry, by the way, in every industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, as you started climbing, you started noticing that there were fewer and fewer women um, in power. Is that fair yes. to say? Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you remember having an aha moment sitting in a, in a board meeting saying, where are the other women? Or did it come to you kind of slowly? Um, yeah, no, to, um, no um, a, a gradual realization. Mm-hmm. And so, as you realized w- what happened then, as you start as as you started seeing, wait a minute, this something's wrong here. How did that affect your day to day? Well, you know, obviously, as I said, um, I have been championing gender equality, diversity, inclusion for decades, and so mm-hmm. I absolutely, you know, um, in my own sphere of responsibility. Um, set out to make sure that um, everybody at BBH New York was paid um, equally um, for, you know, the position they occupied regardless of gender. Um, I ensured that the brilliant women that I hired into the agency were promoted and received the promotions that their talents absolutely um, deserved. And so I did everything um, within my own sphere of influence. And then when I left the industry in 2005, I was able to speak very freely about how I believed the advertising industry and every other industry should be operating to be fully gender equal, diverse and inclusive, because when you work for yourself and you have no affiliation to any corporation or holding company, you can say exactly what you think. Mm -hmm. And I've been saying exactly what I think for many (laughs) years now. That must be um, a very different feeling. Oh, um, oh, it's enormously liberating. Um, you know, I, um, you know, always say to people that really the best moment of my life, and as I said earlier, you know, this wasn't a moment per se, it was a gradual realization, but the best day of my life was the day I realized that I no longer give a damn what anybody thinks. <laughs> because fear of what other people will think mm-hmm. is the single most paralyzing dynamic in business and in life. You will never own the future if you care what other people think. 
Well, I really would like to talk more about this because as somebody who talks to a lot of people who are working in the anti-ageism field, and also as a psychotherapist meeting with people who are all ages, and uh, particularly I'm thinking of the women that I see who are over 40, invisibility is, as you know, a really big theme. And many women that I speak to um, are in this place of uh, wondering what it would be like to not care what people think. They're not quite there yet. Um, can you talk a little bit about that um, transition, perhaps, and how it was for you? Um, well, actually, um, um, I don't want to talk about how it was for me, because when people say to me, Cindy, how do you get this confident? I go 60 years of life. Uh-huh. Um, and so I want to shortcut this process for every other woman, because I don't mm-hmm. want every woman to have to get to the age of 60 before, you know, realizing how she really wants to live. And so um, there's a very simple way to um, claim the confidence that everyone deserves to have. So um, one of my personal philosophies is that everything in life starts with you and your values. And so I recommend, because I find that relatively few people have ever conducted this exercise, I recommend taking a long, hard look into yourself and identifying what you believe in, what you value, what you stand for, what you're all about, and then absolutely living your life and working your work according to those values. Because first of all, that makes life so much easier. Life still throws at you all the shit it always will, Mm -hmm. but you know exactly how to respond to it in any given situation in a way that is true to you. And secondly, because that really is the secret of happiness and confidence, knowing that you are always living your life and working your work according to your own values in a way that is true to you. And then you really don't give a damn what anybody else thinks, because the only thing that matters is what you think. It's like having your own owner's manual. You just go back to it and it sounds like you... Yeah. You don't get all, um, there's not as much mental work about, well, would that be okay? Should that be okay? Who would think yeah. it would be okay? That it's, a, a, you know, as you say, it's a very simple, simple set of guidelines. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, a couple of other things that I would emphasize um, to your listeners is, you know, to, um, first of all, um, stay away from people and places and things that make you feel bad about yourself. Identify those and don't go there. Don't hang out with them. Don't talk to them. Don't, don't, you know, go to those events. Don't be in those places. Stay away from anything that makes you feel bad about yourself. And, and secondly, you know, um, I think it's enormously important to do something that regrettably not a lot of older people do, which is go, you know, I, I am at, at the stage where I have as much of my life to live again as I've lived to this date, mm-hmm. what am I going to do with it? You know, I always remember, um, so, so, you know, I worked for several years on retainer as a consultant to the Japanese advertising agency, Hakuhodo. And so I spent quite a bit of time over there in Tokyo working with, with the team there. And I remember once I was in Tokyo for a week and one evening um, after work, um, I went out with a bunch of my Japanese colleagues um, to a sushi restaurant where uh, we all um, ate a ton of sushi, got really tanked on sake, very enjoyably. <laughs> and one of the women in the group revealed that in her youth, she had been apprenticed to a very famous Japanese soothsayer, fortune teller type of person. And the apprenticeship wasn't very long. It was about six months. But um, during that time, he taught her to read palms. And, and because it wasn't a very long apprenticeship, you know, it, um, I think she'd learnt to read just three things, you know, um, your health, um, you know, um, your love life, something else. But anyway, so we're all drunk on sake, so we all went, read me, read me. <laughs> and, and so she read, she read all our palms over the sushi dinner table. And part of the charm of her reading of mine was that um, her English wasn't very good. And she looked at my palm and she said to me, you are only halfway. 
And at the time I was 49 and that was exactly how I felt. I was only halfway. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important for people not to think of one's 40th birthday, one's 50th birthday as some kind of landmark after which it's downhill all the way. <laughs> but think of it as I have a whole other life to live all over again. What am I going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Opens up so much possibility. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Hello, everyone. I wanted to tell you about a product I've been using lately for aches and pains that's really helped me, and I've been singing it from the rooftops. Some of you may already have discovered the benefits of using CBD. I have found it to be a game changer for my creaky joints. I'm a tennis player, and I have three dogs, and being active is really important to me, and we know how important it is in aging well. But at age 59, my joints can be a bit stiff, uh, especially in my knees. And this stuff has really helped. So I don't have to wear a knee brace anymore, which really wasn't such a good look. I've done my research and it's very important to get the highest quality ingredients. There's a lot of junk on the market. So you have to make sure the product is tested by a third party lab at the very least. My favorite company is called Proze, P-R-O-Z-E, and they have several products that are formulated for specific problems, including sleep and mental focus. Uh, Lately, I've been using the performance gum called Yippies and the Nods, which helps me sleep and tastes very cinnamony. If you go to their website, pros.com, and enter the coupon code ZESTFUL, you're going to get 15% off. I highly recommend trying it out. I think you're really going to be surprised how effective it is, and I would love some feedback from you on how it works. Again, the website pros, P-R-O-Z-E dot com. Coupon code is zestful. Thank you. Now back to the show. How, you know, I'm curious because you're so sensitive and tuned in to these issues. Obviously, you've made your life's work um, of addressing these kind of inequities. What is it like for you when you see inequities now um, all over? And I'm wondering how you deal with perhaps your own frustration and anger um, at the world, at the government, at other, you know, uh, systems uh, that surround us. How do you deal with your feelings about knowing that in some ways we are really stalled? So um, I feel angry every single day and I encourage everybody, especially women, to get very, very angry. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I say especially women, because as women, you know, we are taught, we are socially conditioned to believe that nice girls don't get angry. It's time for every woman and every man, by the way, to get very, very angry, because when we get angry, we make shit happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the dynamic that most motivates me, and, and this applies, I mean, it applies first and foremost to my business, because building Make Love Not Porn, um, um, whose mission is to end rape culture by socializing sex, uh, building any business that is sex related um, faces a unique set of challenges due to societal hypocrisy and prudishness. Um, And so the thing that most motivates me to get through each day, and this absolutely applies to your question, is the dynamic that I call, and I'm going to ask your viewers forgiveness, Um, I am going to use profanity here Mm -hmm. um, for emphasis, the dynamic that I call, I'm going to fucking well show you. Mm -hmm. You tell me it can't be done, I'm going to fucking well show you. Mm-hmm. You put an obstacle on my path, I'm going to fucking well show you. Um, and by the way, do feel free to bleep me out. If, no, if, if, I, I think we can handle oh, it. Oh, jolly good. <laughs> because, um, but, but, because essentially what you have to do is you have to channel 
all of that anger and frustration into motivation and inspiration. Because anger, as I said, will absolutely make you get off your ass and and do what needs to be done. And so I encourage everybody to, you know, um, do not try and repress that anger. Um, feel that anger and use it to motivate you to do what in your particular sphere of operation and influence you can do to change things to be the world that we all want to live in. Mm-hmm. And so you're very much in touch. You said every day you feel angry. Um, is is there, is there any part of that that... Um is inconvenient or unpleasant or are there times when you want to not be angry and just enjoy a cup of coffee well (laughs) in covid maybe maybe not so much but like are there times when you have to say to yourself yes i'm angry i'm motivated by my anger of course i'm angry and yet i want to have a nice visit with this dear friend Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, And so, you know, I'm regularly asked um, what I believe are the most important qualities for an entrepreneur. And my answer is always the same. Persistence, resilience, and the ability to manage your own mind. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I've gotten very good at managing my own mind. And so, um, you know, especially now when, you know, there are many things to make all of us angry every day, but also when the pandemic um, is driving, you know, so much fear and insecurity and many challenges for all of us, whether they be mental or financial, um, you know, um, all of that combined with... um, you know, what I go through with, with Make Love Not Porn, for which I created the hashtag Startup Stress. And so I, I literally will go, you know, okay, Cindy, you know, there are all these very stressful things happening. You are only allowed, today, you are only allowed to stress out about one of them. <laughs> um, at, at, at max, maybe two, you know. So we're going to focus on just that one thing or just these two things. We're going to do what we can to solve them and everything else can wait. You know, and and equally, um, you know, if I want to spend some quality time doing something, I I will say to myself mentally, right, I'm now going to set that aside and I'm going to move into this mindset for this particular event or occasion or task. Um, And so I think you have to think about it consciously like that. And and, and by the way, um, just because I think your listeners may may find this interesting, I'm, I'm a very big fan of consciously doing thought experiments. And, you know, um, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you know, um, uh, one of them is that, um, and, uh, and I do this anyway, but, but I'd encourage people to do this consciously. When I walk around the streets of New York, where I live, and I'm doing a lot less walking around these days, obviously, mm-hmm. because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. but, um, mm-hmm. you know, I will look at every older woman that I pass on the street. And I will say to myself, I know she has an amazing story behind her. And and by the way, I do that deliberately because to your point earlier, you know, I consider myself a proudly visible member of the most invisible segment of our society, which is older women. And so, you know, I acknowledge every older woman I pass, I look at her and I know that to so many people she is invisible, but I know equally that she has a phenomenal story to tell Mm -hmm. and I wish I knew it. And then, you know, the the other thing I do that I encourage people to do is, is something that I began doing consciously a few years ago, born of a particular experience. So I um, had a meeting schedule with a wonderful woman called Susan Line, who um, runs a, a brilliant venture fund called Built by Girls, um, funds um, you know female founded ventures. And I had a meeting with her, I and mean, she has a, a senior uh, role at AOL. And so I was meeting at the AOL offices. Um, and so I turned up a bit early and the receptionist said to me, you know, take a seat. There was um, a couch. Um, you know, Susan's assistant will be out to get you shortly. And at the AOL offices um, in New York, um, the reception area has been designed um, as part of the traffic flow of that floor. And so people were constantly crossing and recrossing it. So I sat down on the couch to wait for Susan Lyons' assistant. And 
I suddenly became aware that I was expecting every woman who walked towards me to be Susan Lyon's assistant. And so I said to myself, okay, Cindy, from now on, you are going to expect every man coming towards you to be Susan Lyon's assistant, and you are going to expect that every woman coming towards you is the senior VP of something. And so I literally made myself think this. Now, um, slightly depressingly, Susan Lyon's assistant was a woman. <laughs> but, 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 but I encourage people to get out because we are all unconsciously biased. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage people to challenge their own biases by, you know, conducting these thought experiments where you challenge yourself on what you expect and you consciously decide to expect something else. Mm-hmm. So you're very intentional about your thoughts and you, I mean, I, it's almost like, uh, I see you as like the master of this, um, you know, your mind and that you're in charge and that I'm, I'm you're- the, um, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm the mistress of my mind. The let's, ma- let's, <laughs> let's get out of the default masculine. <laughs> ah, I love it. The mistress of your mind. Isn't that- and that's something i mean that that's those are sort of playful things that um are sort of also applicable in in psychotherapy practice try this try this is that something you came to yourself as just a as a person who likes to um be intentional and thoughtful about your life or was that suggested to you no, um, no, did- no as i said it literally came about at that moment in AOL reception, uh-huh. thinking to myself, you know, I am operating unconscious bias right yes. now. Yes. And so I am consciously going to challenge my own bias. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, for example, last year I had a meeting in London <clears throat> and I've been corresponding with the people I was going to meet with um, on email, but I had no idea what any of them were or what they looked like. And so, and, and the meeting was being held at, you know, I was talking to a brand and the meeting was being held at their advertising agency in London. So I walked into this very big ad agency's offices and I was told that one of the people I've been talking to would come and collect me. And so I sat in reception and, and, and you know, I did this thought experiment again. I said to myself, I am expecting to be collected by a black woman. Uh, and by the way, I knew the person coming to collect me was female, but I didn't know what ethnicity or, or race they were. And, and I thought that because, um, you know, my industry advertising, unfortunately, you know, it's not just extremely ageist, it's also extremely racist. And so it was very unlikely, potentially, that I'd be collected by a black woman. But I thought, I'm expecting to be collected by a black woman. And lo and behold, I was. Oh <laughs> I was thrilled. <laughs> So what are these conversations like? I, you've, you know, obviously you've been involved in um, consulting with major, major brands. What are the conversations like when you bring to light with, um, you know, companies like Levi's, L'Oreal, Calvin Klein, AOL, all these places like, hey, how come everybody is young and white in your, in your um, advertisements? How does that go? Um, Well, you know, the interesting thing is that um, the Black Lives Matter protests, which have been global in their impact, um, have made these conversations much easier to have this Mm, year. I see. Because because everybody now um, knows that they need to actively make the effort to be gender equal, diverse and inclusive. And, but, 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 you know, I'm having the same conversation I've been having for literally decades. There is more receptivity to it now. But the, the, um, the key point that I make is that, you know, um, uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm glad you've okayed profanity on this podcast because I'm, I'm, because I'm going to use it again. Um, okay, I because, like your warning system. <laughs> yeah, because, because what I say to companies is don't talk diversity. Don't do inspirational promotional campaigns about diversity. Don't do stunts about diversity. Just fucking be diverse. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I use profanity for a reason and for emphasis because that is what is not happening. There's a lot of woke washing going on. And so mm-hmm. um, my point to your original question is, you know, there's, there's a... Um, first of all, you know, there's a very easy way to end stereotypes in advertising. Mm. 
just have the people being stereotyped <laughs> create, approve, produce, direct, and run the ads. Problem solved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a fully diverse team, you don't have to worry about making your advertising, your communication be diverse because it just will be. Mm-hmm. It's a function of who's creating and approving and producing and directing and casting it. And, and by the way, I'm very semantically precise. Every one of those words is chosen for a reason because, you know, again, I've been saying this for a very long time, but it doesn't matter if you are the lone black female team in the creative department and you come up with a brilliant advertising campaign that will speak to, um, you know, to, um, everybody um, in terms of diversity. If you then have to have your work approved by the white male executive creative director who goes, oh, no, no, you know, I don't like that. You do this. You know, it gets watered down or it gets rejected. You know, that's why you have to have, you know, um, a fully diverse team creating the ads, approving the ads, casting the ads, directing the ads, producing Mm -hmm. the ads to have those ads be everything that we would like them to be. And and that absolutely applies, again, to older people and depictions of ageing and advertising. And so one of the things that I've been saying to my industry for years is the advertising industry makes the huge mistake of thinking that youth is aspirational. They make the huge mistake of thinking that older people aspire to be young. No, we don't. Young people aspire to be us. Because... What we are as older people is enormously aspirational. You know, we have the confidence of all of these years of life. We have the experience. We have the expertise. We have the freedom. You know, we, we know what really matters. Mm-hmm. We, we have confidence in our own taste, whether that be in, you know, the clothes we wear, the way we style them, our home decor, um, you know, our relationships who we want to surround us with, all of that is enormously aspirational to younger people who are subject to all of the insecurities that we all felt when we were in our teens and our 20s and our Mm -hmm. our 30s. And And people, nobody wants to go back um, to being college age or high school um, age. No, exactly. And so, you know, my message to the advertising industry is reinvent aspirational culture. And by the way, that directive applies across a whole range of things, but it includes reinvent, um, and I created the hashtag live older, you know, mm-hmm. reinvent the aspiration of age. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had the situation where you're working with a company and you're telling them uh, what you've just said and, and there's so much resistance that you just say, I can't, I can't get through to you and I'm not interested oh. in putting yes. in the energy to, to yep. do that? Um, no, 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 absolutely. I interview my consultancy clients because, mm-hmm. um, first of all, I don't want to work with anybody who is not authentic in their desire to bring change. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it doesn't benefit my personal brand to be associated with anybody who d- does not authentically desire to bring change. And so, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm a great fan of be your own filter. And And a demonstration of this is, you know, as you told your listeners at the start of this interview, um, you know, I um, I basically work, you know, very selectively as a consultant, only with clients and brands who want to change the game in their particular sector. So you come to me for radical, innovative, groundbreaking, transformative. I don't do status quo. And so as you observed, I sum up my consultancy approach as, I like to blow shit up. I am the Michael Bay of business. Mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. that that tagline is not a bit of fun, a bit of creativity, a bit of whimsy. I use that summation entirely deliberately because when I characterize what I do in that way, it attracts to me the people who want what I do. Right. It repels the ones who don't. Right. And I want to repel the ones who don't because they're a waste of time, effort, and money. And so I actually encourage everybody to be their own filter. 
And in fact, you know, finding a way to sum up what you stand for is a very good way of doing that because you want to attract to you the people who actively want what you do, want the way you go about things, and you do not want to engage with the people who don't. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, um, in the main, my clients come to me because they want to blow shit up. They know. They know who you are, Uh, and that's their... They they, know who they're hiring. They know what they're getting, exactly. They know what they're getting. So this is a little bit more perhaps uh, complex, maybe more sensitive, but as an advertising uh, consultant, do you think about the companies that you are working with and what they are putting out in the world and if that is uh, moving uh, women's power forward, for example, I'm thinking of L'Oreal and I'm wondering about makeup and having to look a certain way and having models oh, that are, yep. you know. Uh, yep. no, 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 absolutely. Well, what I welcome about the work I do is that everything cross-references because, um, you know, I, I bring my own business philosophies to all my consultancy work. And, you know, first of all, I believe the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And not in the way that most companies tend to do that currently, which goes, we make money here, and then we do good by writing checks to causes to clear our conscience over here. You know, <laughs> like well, with uh, Ford did a lot of with um, breast cancer, right? right. I yep. mean, they're they're polluting, but then they're yep. making scarves yep. for uh, breast yep. no, cancer. No, um, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I um, when I say do good and make money simultaneously, I mean integrate social responsibility into the way you do business on a day to day basis that therefore makes it a key driver of you know, successful business outcomes. And so so um, I absolutely bring that to the table in all my consultancy work. And then, you know, absolutely, I, you know, um, do everything I can to encourage the companies I work with to rethink their approach to gender equality, diversity, inclusion, not only internally, but also obviously in everything they do externally as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking of some of the challenges you might be facing with, I'm just thinking about like Calvin Klein or Levi's, where historically, of course, I'm, I'm an eating disorder specialist. So this is where, mm. you know, I I get, I pay a lot of attention is, you know, are those clothes, um, are, are there larger sizes? Are there, you know, what are we doing mm. for people who um, are not ideal? you know, sort of ideal, so to speak, ideal yeah. weights and sizes. No, I mean, no, absolutely. And do you know, um, so um, here's something I do um, <clears throat> to, to change that every year. And, and then here's my frustration with it. So um, I have an annual ritual. Um, every year, I live tweet my reading of the Vogue um, September issue. Um, I began doing this several years ago, um, because you know, I um, I now read Vogue, um, and I have a subscription to it, which I took out years ago um, and um, and haven't um, terminated. But you know, these days I flick through Vogue and I go, nothing here is relevant to me. Um, nothing relevant to me as a sixty-year-old woman, and nothing relevant to me in terms of what I want to see in the pages of popular culture. So, um, um, and so I read every issue of Vogue with a very critical eye. And obviously the September issue is the gigantic one, mm-hmm. historically, with all the advertisers. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, a few years ago, I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live tweet my thought process <laughs> and my observations as I, I read the Vogue brilliant. September issue. That's brilliant. I love that. And, um, and so this has turned into an annual ritual. And, and, and my, my, my followers on Twitter now look forward to it every year. And um, and every year, um, you know, t- um, th- um, my observations um, um, resonate more with people because they now see the context that I'm seeing. So um, I-, I did that a few weeks ago, um, and, and and so the, um, my live tweeting ends up as a very long thread because I literally comment on every advertisement, you know, as well as every fashion editorial, every article, etc. Um, and incidentally, um, for your viewers who'd like to 
um, you know, see what I tweet. Um, go to Twitter and just search at Cindy Gallup, which is my Twitter handle, mm-hmm. and at Vogue magazine and hashtag September issue, um, okay. and you will and you'll be able to able to see the thread. Um, and and what I do is I call out advertisers um, and Vogue itself for um, lack of diversity, lack of mm. body diversity, lack mm. of age diversity, um, especially because the enormous irony is that older women are the ones, I mean, the ones fortunate enough, are the ones with the money to spend on mm-hmm. the items in vogue. Um, <laughs> right. And yet we are absolutely not catered to uh, as a market. Um, so, um, you know, I did this several weeks ago. And, and what I do is I tag every single advertiser, every single brand on Twitter. <laughs> and once again this year, what happened last year when I did this um, and the year, year before um, has happened, which is not a single brand that I tagged has responded to me. Um, and, and bear in mind, the fashion industry prides itself on having embraced digital. Mm-hmm. That's, that's appalling. I mean, even by the way, the ones I've praised... Um, for doing the right thing, having body diversity mm-hmm. in their ads, they don't respond either. Um, that's ridiculous. Uh, and, and that's indicative of how behind the times the fashion industry is mm-hmm. and how much it is failing to take the pulse of what consumers really want. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, that, that's so interesting. We talked earlier about what do you do with your anger? And it sounds like that long tweet really helps you, you know, address that. And also because, you know, um, I'm using social media to get, you know, other people to, to bring a different perspective to all of this. You know, I, I mean, for example... Um, one of the things that I find the most ridiculous in, in the fashion world, and, and yet the most all-pervasive, is that because the fashion industry, like every other industry, is white male-dominated, um, and so ironically, in a patriarchal world, an industry whose primary target is us um, is dominated by white male CEOs, white male designers, white male photographers, white male directors. Um, and by the way, the same is true of the advertising industry. The primary target for advertising is women. My industry is utterly male dominated. And so you have this ridiculous situation where the female readers of Vogue, and, and this is true of other magazines and other media. Um, so f- female readers who are the um, Purchase purchasing target for female um, goods such as clothes, shoes, purses, handbags. We are sold all of those things through the male lens, and so we as women are sold them on naked models in come hither poses looking seductive with their legs spread mm-hmm. um, and in I, fact um i would say some of them are actually quite violent where it looks oh, like yeah, the woman yeah, was no, knocked down yeah, but, um, no absolutely i mean unconscious these, these are highly objectifying objectionable images um but but you know fundamentally we are being sold to ourselves through the male lens and so it's ridiculous that women are pouting and posing and spreading their legs and you know naked um to sell um, female items to women. Mm-hmm. Indeed. It reminds me of Jean Kilborn's work uh, way back. Uh, yes, when yeah, she, yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember, yeah, yeah. The first scholar to say, yeah. this is causing eating disorders, people. Look yeah. at the data. Yeah, it's fascinating. Wow, Cindy, I feel like uh, we could talk for a long, long time. Well, this well, is well, such a... F- uh, um, Go actually, ahead. Uh, sorry, Nicole, I, I do want to just just uh, make your viewers aware of, of, of something that speaks specifically to your concern about eating disorders. Sure. And that is, um, so um, Make Love Not Porn um, exists to reflect the full glorious spectrum of human sexuality. Um, if porn is the Hollywood movie, we are the real world documentary. Mm-hmm. And so when you have this amazing window onto real people's um, love and sex lives, um, we have a huge number of social benefits uh, wrapped into Make Love Not Porn that I designed Make Love Not Porn to ensure. And one of them is at Make Love Not Porn, we celebrate real world everything, real world bodies, real world hair real-world penis size, real-world breast size. And the reason we do that is because you can talk body positivity all you like, 
You can preach self-love till you're blue in the face. Nothing makes people feel great about their own bodies, <laughs> like watching people who are nobody's idea of aspirational body types getting turned on by each other, <laughs> desiring each other, having a bloody amazing time in bed. Our mantra at Make Love Not Porn is everybody is beautiful when they're having real world sex, and they really are. And, and the reason it's so important that we do this, and we are the only place on the internet where you will see this, I mean, um, you know, th there is absolutely porn that addresses body diversity, but it fetishizes body diversity. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. We are holding the mirror up to what, you know, everybody, men, women, non-binary, LGBTQ, gets turned on by in the real world. And that's critically important because in popular culture, we are told all the time that nobody is turned on by, you know, um, large people, disabled people, you know, ugly people. I mean, ugly is a societal construct anyway. Mm -hmm. And, oh my God, Make Love Not Porn demonstrates that what we are actually turned on by is what is important to us in the real world, which is the wonderful person that we're connecting with. And, you know, um, that connection has nothing to do with how skinny they are or how conventionally beautiful they are, and everything to do with the fact that this is a real person that we have connected with, and we absolutely bloody love everything about them and find them the hottest thing out because of that connection. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, I don't think people think in those terms mm. yeah no. it's 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 really getting to the absolute core right of um why diversity is important uh, absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. you know because and also it's why make love not porn is so important because you know because because we are so ludicrously prudish as a society we have defaulted sex to an act to a thing we do it's not it's personality who we are sexually informs everything about how we feel about ourselves, other people, our relationships, our lives, our happiness. And so when you feel able to be completely comfortable in yourself as a sexual being, and when you feel that everything you are is appreciated, everything about your body is appreciated, it is transformative. I mean, mm -hmm. our members write to us, and they leave comments in our videos that make love not porn all the time that go, you know, you've made me feel better about my own body. And, and, and couples write to us and say, you know, a, a man very recently commented and said, you know, these videos are making both me and my girlfriend feel better about our bodies, more able, you know, to be freer in bed, to be more central with each other. You know, I mean, um, that that is so important mm. because, you know, that aspect of body diversity is absolutely crucial for every one of us to feel sexually desirable and lovable, you know, not in spite of the way we look, but precisely because of the way we look. Mm -hmm. Well, that's nothing short of revolutionary, which is, I'm just saying, <laughs> I know that that's your brand. Exactly. I mean, that's what we, you're about. Yeah. Yeah. And at Make Love Not Porn, we call ourselves the social sex revolution. The revolutionary mm -hmm. part is not the sex, it's the social. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's absolutely fascinating. Um I have so enjoyed learning about you and what you're doing, and I know my audience will as well. Where can we find more about Cindy Gallup? Sure. So um, you can go to cindygallup.com, my personal mm -hmm. website. You can mm -hmm. find me on Twitter at Cindy Gallup. Um, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash cindy.gallup. Um, you can find mm -hmm. me on Instagram at Cindy Gallup um, and on LinkedIn. You can follow me on LinkedIn as well. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for talking about such vitally important issues in a really new way. And I've been studying this for a long, long time, and I've learned a lot. I really appreciate you coming oh, on and, and talking talking to us today. Thank you so much. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for this great conversation. Hey everyone, I wanted to tell you about a powerful new tool that supports your mental and emotional health in what are extremely trying times. And you may remember that I've been a psychotherapist for 30 years and I'm always a little suspicious of products that claim to help us feel less anxious, depressed, or worried. 
But then I was introduced to a new kind of app called Cope Notes, and I have become a big fan. Cope Notes was developed by a guy who spent a lot of his life trying to figure out what might help support him through his own weekly psychotherapy sessions. Cope Notes is an app that gives you random texts through the day to break through some of the negative messages that might be repeating in your head. It's well-researched and has been adopted by many mental health facilities. I highly recommend it. I think we can all use a little support right now. So check out Cope Notes dot com forward slash zestful. I will receive a small portion of those proceeds. Um, and I'd love to hear your feedback about how it works for you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.